This week on Merchants of Change, we've got Jeff White. Jeff played football at Merrimack College before a knee injury sparked a curiosity in the medical field. Jeff's been crushing it in medical device sales since 2013, and he's helping us prepare the next generation of medical device sales professionals here at the Shift Group. Here he is, Jeff White. I'm J.R. Butler, co-founder of The Shift Group, and you're listening to Merchants of Change. This is a podcast about transferring the skills and behaviors we acquire as athletes into being a professional technology salesperson. Each week, we'll introduce you to a top performer who will help us understand how they became professional merchants of change. What's up, kid? How we doing? We're good, man. Good. Good, good. Today, everyone, today on the show, we've got Jeff White, um, a.k.a. Whitey. I'll probably refer to him as Whitey throughout the show. Uh, so, Whitey, thanks for being on the show, buddy. My pleasure, dude. Um, I, I know you know this, but you know our show is really for new sellers and people considering a career shift into sales. Um, and, and I know, you know, our mission is to help elite athletes and military vets become elite sales professionals. Um, all our podcast guests are like you, either former athletes or former veterans who, who have found success in sales. Um, this is a unique spin on it. Um, and, and kind of, you know, butting up to our, our coming announcement around moving into another industry and medical device. Um, but we always like to kind of take a step back with everybody and start with their sports career, uh, given our audience. And then we go into the transition into sales and then we kind of end it with some lessons around, you know, what you've learned in your career, uh, in your case, selling medical devices. Um, so starting with the sports stuff, this is a intentionally like really broad question. Um, what what are some of your favorite memories of playing sports? Yeah, man. I mean, high school sports, obviously, right? So, like, <laughs> having limited responsibilities, you know, being with your some of your best friends on on the field every single season, you know, having the same guys in the same groups playing through. I was in a small school, man, small town, small school. So you're with the same kids on the same on a different field every single season. Um, and we were really successful. We had some talented kids, won a couple Super Bowls, and then, you know, tried to bring that into college, right? But was injured. So it didn't really transpire the way I had hoped. So I had to change my plan as to like, well, I guess I'm not going to be a pro athlete. Um, I got to find another, another, uh, solution here for a career. Absolutely. Yeah. Those, those injuries are tough. And, and, um, you know, I, I can totally relate, right? Like, you know, I even we, we get like NHL and NFL players on here. Um, we just had an NFL player and we asked him his favorite memories and he talked about his high school, his high school sports. Like there really, really is, nothing, there's nothing like it. It's, it's uh-huh. just so unique. Um, and, and, you know, you talked about your injuries and, and, and I know that's been, that was a huge part of kind of, you know, your transition and, you know, having to end sports earlier than you had planned. Um, how, did that like, did that impact like what you wanted to, to go on to study and to do? Yeah, for sure, man. I mean, I had no clue as a, as a high school graduate, you know, going to Merrimack College, what I was going to be doing in the future. All I thought was, 
I'm going to go to college and figure it out. Probably just like everyone else kind of does. Right. And I tore my ACL going into college in the Shriners game. And that put a lot of things into perspective very quickly that, you, you know, I wasn't the same coming out of that injury and I ended up doing it two more times. So I spent most of my career, you know, on crutches, right. As a college athlete riding the bench, holding the clipboard, you know, just kind of showing up, being a part of the team. But the one thing that really fascinated me is that every time I got hurt, um, the team and the staff and like almost the medical community that's involved that put you back together and the way that they put you back together and the process that they go through and, and basically how they did it all from, from pre-surgical to immediately after surgery to the to the year that it took me you know i know it's a lot different now but it took me about a full year to get back on the field you know all of those people involved i was like man this is so cool so fascinating this is just i can't believe someone put me back together with pieces of my own body right it like blew my mind and i thought this is something that i'm wildly interested in and i've already been through and i've been a part of so i i think i want to be a part of that forever Right. But it was just trying to figure out exactly what my um, my contribution would be. Right. I thought maybe I want to be a doctor. Maybe I want to be a PT. And then, you know, after going through it and, and figuring it all out, I ended up taking the sales route and I couldn't be happier that I did. Yeah. I was, uh, so I that's actually like, you know, we, we go way back. Uh, we met back in those college days. And, you know, the comment I'll make about the clipboard is, you know, I can relate with my college hockey career. But, you know, there is uh, something to be said. You guys had great teams at Merrimack, and there's something to be said about, you know, chief culture officers are very, very important, keeping the team light, making sure people are having fun because college sports is a big commitment, and you always need need folks like you and I that, that uh, keep, keep people honest in terms of what they're there for from a college perspective. So nothing wrong there. Um, you know, and, and to your point, like, doctor – uh, not something that I, I necessarily would see, um, for guys like you and I, but it, it, was it like, how, how obvious was it like, okay, medical industry for sure. How did sales come up and were there other career paths, um, that you explored outside of like specifically med device sales? Yeah. So, you know, Merrimack had an awesome program. I was in the sports med program and okay. they basically allowed you to, um, sort of shadow different, um, you know, I shadowed a PA, I shadowed PTs. I, I worked as a, as a trainer, as a part of the curriculum. So they had an awesome, um, you know, pathway to kind of dip your toes into all these different settings. And when I was doing my PA shadowing, I met a bunch of the medical reps and, you know, they were just in the office checking in, making sure that they had all the equipment for the surgeon. Uh, for the upcoming cases the following week. And I kind of picked their brain and I was like, man, that's really cool. Like you sit in the surgery and help them do the surgery. I was like, that's a really cool job. And you didn't go to school for like five more years and then do a residency and then, you know, live in a basement and be a fellow and all of this that was, that was required to be a doctor. It's, you know, you could kind of make your own schedule. They were, you know, where they had to be when they had to be there, but they had a little bit more flexibility and more of a social life. And I was like, that's something that I can definitely see myself doing. Yep. Yep. And, and if, if I recall correctly, your first role was in selling what's called DME, which I believe stands for dur durable medical equipment. What do you, what do you remember about those first few months selling DME? 
Yeah. So, so durable medical equipment, it was, that's basically one of the entry level roles at the time that I found, right? So DME, it could be anything from canes, walkers, crutches, anything that's like billed to a patient's insurance. And I remember I would get the DME after all my surgeries. I'd have, you know, a brace, I'd have maybe a, a crutches, I'd have, you know, little things that you would use at home, CPM machine. I don't even know if people use those anymore, probably rarely, but, but yeah, I was selling DME to, to physicians and I was in the hospital and, you know, I took it seriously. I hustled. Um, I tried to get more surgeons, get more influence, get more billables. And, um, I excelled with a product and then ended up getting, uh, an offer by selling those, you know, low level items to having a full-time position as a territory manager with one product that I was excelling with, especially. That's really cool. So, so it's a little, a, a little bit like tech where there are these like entry level, uh, points into the industry. And, and obviously I'm learning a lot about that now. Um, you know, I always like to know, like, when you look back at those early days of your career, you know, are, are there, are there things that you, you wish you could do over if you had the chance? Um, I mean, I was, I definitely was in the right place at the right time at a couple different companies. I feel like I've been very, very lucky. Um, but one thing that I would probably advise, you know, anyone looking to get into this is, you know, don't go out and just look for a paycheck, right? You need to go out and find a technology that is innovative, that is disruptive, that is going to basically allow you to do your job better. You know, if you're good at sales, you can sell anything, no matter how hard or how easy it is. But if you identify a technology that is on the cutting edge or the leading edge and do your research before you start applying for companies, then you can basically piggyback onto something that's going to break through and help you not only elevate your sales career, but your earning potential at the same time. And I think at first I was kind of following the pathway that was given to me. Um, and then once I understood that, like, wow, I've, I've excelled, I've done well, I can be picky choosy about where I go and what I want to sell. Once I understood that everything just took off. Right. Um, so I would definitely recommend to anyone, you know, do your, do your diligence, do your research, understand the company, understand, follow them in the news, man, see what they're coming out with, see what they're breaking through with. Because if you're going to join an organization, you're going to be a part of it. Right. And it's not for a year, for two years, it's hopefully for a long term. And you're going to build your career and whatever happens next off the success of that company, as well as your successes within that company. I like that. I like that. So let's take a step back for a second, Jeff. Um, Most folks that have been listening to our show for the 30 plus episodes that have been launched so far, they've been been hearing from uh, really successful technology sales professionals. And, And we recently had Mike Davis on the show to talk about pharmaceutical sales. Um, can you kind of give us like a, a very high level overview of medical device sales, like generally? Sure. So, I mean, there's a million verticals and pathways and product types and disciplines, but for the most part, I would say that the unique part of this industry is that you are independent for the most part, right? You are working in the fields. You usually have a finite territory and it's your responsibility to manage that territory, your own time, your time in front of customers. So you have this, this, it's not like you're in an office banging a phone 40 times a day, right? 
You may be driving to a hot two or three hospitals in a day in a loop to go and knock on doors instead of banging a phone. Um, that is one of the things that I love the most about it, right? I like being in front of people in person, right? Communicating in person. And I know we're in this Zoom culture and this is kind of like the new norm ever since COVID and whatnot. But I mean, medical, things get done in person. You're never going to excel by doing the cold calling. I mean, it's necessary, but the best way to excel and get ahead in this is going to be physically going to a hospital and getting in front of these decision makers and developing your relationships. Um, and, and, and that's probably one of my favorite parts about it is that like human interaction uh, component. It's so true. And it, and it is, it is like radically different, I think, from that first technology sales job, especially, you know, my belief is uh, on on the tech side, when you start your career, you should be in person, but not you're not in person with customers. You're around your peers because because you're learning. But similarly, when you're going out and having conversations with doctors, walking around hospitals uh, and doctors' offices, that's uh, uh, my the same idea applies. Is like you're you have no choice but to learn when when that's how you're spending your time. Um, and and it and it sounds like like one of the ways that we help. A lot of um, early career starters get over the hump of like sales because they all think sales. They think of the used car salesman is this idea of like it's it's really franchise ownership and, and entrepreneurial. Um, and the way you describe that to me just now, it's like you own a franchise for that product and, and you have a specific territory that it's your job to spin up. Um, now I also know like one thing that's unique about uh, medical device, and maybe this is the second or third role in, in, in the career is you, there's a lot of 1099 uh, jobs versus a W2. Can you just kind of explain why that exists? So, so prevalently in, in medical device? Yeah. So, so the big difference is if you're a W2 employee, you're getting a base salary, right? So you're collecting maybe call it a hundred grand a year, and then you're getting commissioned on that with a quota and everything else. Now, usually what happens is as you work as a W-2 and you find success and you go and you bang on all these doors and you're in front of all these people and you develop all these relationships, now you've developed a network that usually lives with you for the majority of your career, right? Your Rolodex, if you will. As a 1099, you basically work for commission only. Now, the commission-only aspect, no base pay, no hourly pay, no nothing. Um, but your commissions could be, you know, three to five, maybe even 10 times what you would get as commission as a W-2. Now, the 1099s typically have relationships in a certain market, call it orthopedics, right? And they know a lot of surgeons and a company may come along and say, hey, I have this incredible new device specifically for orthopedic surgeons and you have a broad market of relationships with orthopedic surgeons. Will you help me push my product, right? So a lot of it is tapping into those existing relationships and you can do it on the side, but a lot of people do it full time because of that massive earning potential once they have a good solid foundation of people that they can rely on. And they identify these products that are out there that run on this 1099 model, and they create almost their own bag, if you will. And the bag is basically the products that you carry on a day-to-day -day basis. Um, you know, I worked at Zimmer Biomet and they had dozens of products in their capital portfolio bag. And that's the division that I was in and helping manage. And then you could go into, um, you know, within their organization, they have 1099s uh, on the recon side 
that are basically running multiple products, you know, within the organization and outside of the organization to basically increase their earning opportunity every day. Yep. So you can you can do both, but usually the 1099 is going to come along at a, at a, after you've established yourself yourself in the community. Yeah, that makes sense. It's it's a little bit like um like a, a re, like a channel uh, reseller in tech, but it's a little unique because um, you're a little more independent. Um, now let let's talk a little bit, right? Like you know you you know we've developed like a really intensive training um, for technology sales, and 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 we're working on that foundational stuff for medical device sales. Um, can you just talk a little bit about like some of the high level? Um, kind of material and, and, you know, focus from like a, a skills and attributes perspective that, that will typically set up candidates that we work with for success in medical device? Yeah, man. So the, probably the most important thing is going to be being able to manage that independence, right? Um, it, it's, it's a blessing. It can also be a curse, right? Yep. Um, I love to golf. So telling yourself that, Hey, I'm going to go run out to the golf course and play 18 holes on a, on a Friday, as opposed to going in front of three new accounts, death sentence. Can't do it. You've got to be able to grind. You've got to be basically, um, really, really own that independence and stay hungry, stay driven, stay motivated. Um, and you know, the secondary thing is building those relationships. Like I mentioned before, you can never have enough friends in med device. You never know when a doctor that you rely on is going to move to another part of the country or somewhere that you're going to be able to use that relationship or leverage that relationship moving forward because you did such a great job providing and servicing him and his patients, right? Um, and then, and then I think that the the third kind of thing that that maybe goes a little under the radar is, is possessing this this industry compass that you'll kind of learn and understand as you go. Um, that pretty much every decision in medical is made on on three pillars, right? It's cost efficacy, product efficacy, and satisfaction. And if you can basically understand that all these decisions are being made on those three principles and develop and tailor your pitch and everything else to align with whoever you're speaking to and their cost strategy, their product needs, and satisfying them and their patients, then you're going to excel through and through for years and years. Yeah. And that sounds like that industry compass kind of, you know, it spans across because, because medical device is unique in, in all the verticals and specialties you can have, but it sounds like that core, those core kind of things are, are really what helps drive decisions, no matter whether it's capitals, biologics, uh, you know, anything. Yeah. And it's a lot of it is, is going to be, you know, in medical, it's not like you're just calling the, the, the chief information officer, like in tech and getting a yes out of him. Right. It's like some of these products may be in every single room of the hospital. You have to convince your nursing teams. You have to convince the ICU team. You have to convince, um, you know, purchasing materials, management, biomedical engineering. And then once you've done all that, now you have to install it all. Right. So like, the the amount of of people that need to be blessed that bless your product along the way they all have their own needs right procurement which is basically purchasing they want to know how much is this going to cost me today right versus what i'm already paying nursing is going to want to know what is what exactly is this doing to to increase or or make my my clinical outcomes better right 
And then is the patient going to like this? Are they going to tell other people that, hey, I went to this hospital and I had an amazing experience and I'm, and I'm healthy now, right? It's like, those are the principles that you need to understand, like, as an audience, what you need to say to sort of, you know, hit that nail on the head and, and carry on to the next step. That's, I, I love that. Um, and, and like that idea of multi-threading um, definitely makes sense. And, and you bring up a great point, right? Like one of the things that would make me super nervous, you know, just going back to like 23, 24 year old JR, which is a little scary, but you know, one thing that I would be nervous about would be, you know, selling products to those people that we talked about earlier, doctors who, like you said, right, they're, they go to school for like ever, then they do residencies for like ever. Like these people are super smart, suit like, you know, they know so much about so much. And you have to go in as a salesperson and stand shoulder to shoulder with these surgeons in like live operating rooms. How 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 do sales reps get smart enough to be able to do that? Yeah, I mean that's that's a great question. So you're dealing with you know, typically surgeons are, are very particular about what they, what they like, what they want, what they need. Um, and being, being a rep, you have to understand that, right? Um, and the, the worst thing that you can do as a rep is trying, trying to know a little bit about everything because then you'll become sort of a master of none, right? Um, you know, it, it's great to have insight and knowledge about things that are going on, but you need to be laser focused on your reason that you are, you know, working with this hospital, with this surgeon, the reason that you're in that OR and also knowing what you don't know. One of the biggest mistakes that you can make, man, is, is, you know, being in an operating room, someone asks you a question and you try to answer it, even though you don't know the answer, you know, these guys, they understand that like, you know, Jeff is a, he went to college and he has a sports med degree, but like he never went to any of these schools or residencies or anything like that, that I've been through. So they understand if you're like, I will get you the best possible answer. Just give me the rest of the day to, to do that. Right. A lot of times people fumble and they, you know, give sort of bad answers or wrong answers, and then they lose credibility. And once you've lost credibility, now you're reeling and you're trying to pull them back in and to gain their trust again. Um, so basically focusing on exactly what it is that you are trying to accomplish and knowing that, as opposed to trying to know everything else that's going on, you need to be a master of your craft as opposed to maybe a jack of all trades, right? Because no one wants a master of none that knows a little bit about everything. Yeah. 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 Um, I like that master of none. I think that might, we might, that's might be the name of the episode right there. Um, <laughs> uh, so, so you're helping us with this, uh, Whitey. And like the idea that we want is like, we want an athlete and a veteran to come in. We want to destigmatize sales for them. And then we want to say, okay, here's some options for you. Here's tech, here's pharma, here's med device. For, for somebody that is thinking about even going into our program to begin with, how would you coach them on, one, figuring out if MedDevice is, is right for them, number one. Number two, how would you coach them on selecting the right company to start their career at? Yeah, it's a great question. I mean, I, I'm, I've always been in medical device, so you know I love it. I've never even thought about moving into another industry. Um, and in terms of selecting 
the right company. You know, I knew that through my historical experiences, what interests me was was ortho, right? I had those surgeries. So so I was already sort of like being pulled towards that um, almost automatically without even thinking about anything else. But I think you have to go in and, and, and think about like, all right, if I'm going to start a career, like what about medicine? What, you know, vertical within medicine really interests me? Is it wound care? Is it diabetes? Is it, you know, that's more the pharma space, but like the, what about medical is, is really pulling me in? Um, you know, we talked, I talked to a girl the other day and she, her mother was really sick with a condition and she was like, I want to be in that because I saw how they helped her kind of similar to the way that, you know, the ortho teams were helping me, um, come back and prepare. And then, you know, the, my advice to her was basically go and do your research now, do that diligence, you know, understand what, what companies are out there, who's making moves, you know, who's maybe lagging behind and then try to select, um, you know, exactly where you want to go based on who you think is going to be the most, you know, who's, who's going to be at the top of the class at the end of the year, at the end of the five years, right? Because it's a long game. This is a very innovative space. Products change every single year, new iterations, new versions. So you want to be with someone that's staying up with the, keeping up with the Joneses, you know? Yeah, 100%. Um, I'm curious about this, like, you know, that those are kind of like some attributes and some things to think about on the on the company side and and like you know what's gonna what's gonna drive you like when a, when somebody gets into the career you know maybe they're a year in what do you see as like the skills that separate the reps that crush it from like the mediocre average rep so i I've, I've done a lot of hiring i've done a lot of firing um <laughs> i can tell you right now the guys and the girls that are, that want to be the top, they want to be the top dog. They are the hungriest. They may, they don't, you don't need to have the knowledge base because you can learn it. You don't need to have the experience because you're going to develop it. What you cannot teach is that hunger and that drive and that sort of that craving to be at the top of your class because, you know, I'll see guys that are, working late hours or going into hospitals after hours to meet with teams that they can't get in front of during the day because there's just too many roadblocks and, and too many hurdles to get through to. And then they're going to hospitals at eight, nine o'clock at night to go in and meet with someone on the team just to get to that next person. And and those are the things, those are the type of commitments that are going to set you apart from the rest of your class. Um, you know, waking up early, going to bed late, like it's a grind at first, but once you, once you start to solidify yourself and people know that like, dude, this guy is going to treat me well, he's going to work his tail off for me. And I know that I can count on him and you start developing trust and relationships, then you are going to just absolutely crush your role every single day. If you can make that habitual. Yeah. And, and like, you know, we don't, we don't pull bones about it. Like, you know, crushing it. There's a, there's a, you can crush it in a lot of careers. You can crush it as a third grade teacher. You can crush it as a, a scientist, but like in sales is unique because there's a scoreboard. When you crush it, you're, you're at the top of the scoreboard and that means your W2 is higher. And that's, that makes it a little bit, it's, it's easier. Uh, it's easier to work without looking at the clock when you can buy stuff without looking at your bank account first. Right. So that's, yep. it is what it is. Um, 
One thing that we really emphasize with people uh, in technology, and, and I think it matters in other industries, is, is leadership, right? Sales leadership, right? Who you work for that first few jobs. And I'm curious to know, like, wh- what does great sales leadership in medical device sales look like? Do you have any, like, examples from, from leaders that you've had in, in your career on, on, like, what great leadership looks like in that industry? Yeah, I mean, I would say that the best leaders that I've had in my career were, um, I guess we'll call it sort of the player coach, right? Um, two that immediately come to mind are, are Greg Roach and Tim McCarthy. Greg was at ZB, president of surgical. Tim was my CEO at MCS. Both of those guys were not afraid to pick up the phone as I was a rep. Um, and, and they're leading a division. They have bigger fish to fry, but they were always willing to educate, give insight, donate strategy. Um, having a leader like that, that is willing and able to sort of train you in these long, complex deals that you're going to start getting yourself into, which also pay out the best when they're willing to get out there, get in the field, you know, flying to New York to go sit in meetings with you and help you close. Um, and you learning from them and, and, and their talk track and, and understanding that how they treat the customer and deal with the customer as opposed to what you maybe would have done. Um, uh, that player coach, if you can identify someone that, that does that and, and lives and breathes that as your manager, you will 100% grow into that role and maybe end up managing yourself because you're going to learn from someone that's doing it the best way possible. Um, that's, that's kind of what happened to me. I was, I was groomed and nurtured into someone that was, you know, I loved being in those complex calls and understanding and that problem solving aspect. And I love teaching as well, um, helping other people succeed and, and training other people on getting on a call and saying, how did you close that deal? Cause we're all stuck, right? Like I loved doing that. And that's what kind of developed me into this, this manager that I, that I've become. Um, so yeah, someone who's not afraid to get their hands dirty, man, instead of sit, sitting up in the ivory tower is, is clutch in this, in this space. I love that. And it's, by the way, very similar. So, so that's good to hear because like, you know, we talk about, you want to find a leader that's willing to carry the water bottles and that's exactly what you're describing. Or the clipboard brother. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. I love it. All right. Um, so last two questions, we, we literally ask every guest, we'll do a little tweak here, obviously for a different industry, but, um, first one, we always ask our guests to highlight, you know, one of the skills that makes you elite specifically. So, so if you had to highlight one of your specific skills that's that's led to the success that you've had in your career, what, what would you say it is? It's a really good question. Um, you know, I would like to think that I'm good at closing, but it's really not closing. All closing is just is just getting a contract, right? I think that one of my biggest assets and and skills that I've learned has got to be the sort of the art of persuasion, right? And persuasion is not necessarily getting someone to do something that maybe they don't want to do. It's it's eliciting a behavior change. And the behavior change is really more so on protocols, on standard of care, um, going in and, and asking a hospital system to do something completely different that they're doing today changes very hard in that type of institution. 
And like I said, convincing multiple groups of people to accept that change, change their protocols, change their behaviors on a daily basis, whether it's more work or less work, because the, the goal is always make it easier for everyone, but that's not always the case. So being able to, you know, persuade and elicit behavior change, um, in the hospital, in the surgery center, in the clinic, um, effectively so that everyone feels that, you know, we're actually in a good space and we're getting, you know, not, we're not getting the short end of the stick. I would say that's probably the, the best, uh, skill set that I've developed and that I really try to focus on every day. That's a, I mean, persuasion, I think comes down to, uh, understanding people's motivations, uh, influencing them and then educating them, right? Like that's how you make some, someone change. So being good, being good at that is critical if you're selling them some big change in a hospital or software or some new drug they're going to use. So that's an yeah. awesome. Like one of the, one of the biggest mistakes people can make is they walk into a meeting that they've been dying to get and they show up and they throw up and they're just spitting binders of material out of people. You know, every single time I meet with anyone, it's the first meeting that I'm having. I am asking so many questions that their head is going to spin because I have no idea what to pitch them, what to say to them, what their needs are, what their pain points are. I don't know anything about this customer until I ask them a hundred questions. And then wow. once you do that, now you can start to understand that art of persuasion and say like, listen, I have this for all of your needs and this is why. And now you're going to give a compelling pitch and you're going to, you're going to win, you know, nine times out of 10. Yeah. It, it's an easy analogy to make, right? It's like, you know, you don't go to the doctor uh, and they, you walk in their office and they start pitching you on some pill they <laughs> yeah. want to give you, right? Like they they ask you a million questions. So it's like, exactly. it's called discovery in sales, but it's really yep. diagnosis more than anything else. And you have to get good at that before before you can pitch the product. So that's awesome. Um, you know, we, we talk a lot about the idea of professionalism and being a pro, right? And we think the highest praise you can give a salesperson is calling them a pro. So I'm curious to know, what does being a pro in medical device sales mean to you? Easy, respect. You can be relied on, you're respected by the medical community, you're respected by your peers, you're respected by maybe people within other companies, um, you're trusted, you're a referral point, right? It's, it's all about respect. You can never have enough relationships in this medical community. And basically giving everyone the same amount of respect and the same amount of your time and the same amount of effort goes a long way. And the people that are pros are the ones that never burn bridges and always hold those relationships with them throughout their entire career. And if you, I mean, that's, that's one thing that I always try to do is, is build on these relations, compound relationships and, and be the most professional, right? Possible, most professionally, um, well built Rolodex, if you will. And, um, because those, the, you never know when you're going to need someone else the same way that they needed you. You never know. And it always happens. You'd be so shocked. So, yeah, just getting that respect from the community and from uh, a lot of the players in it is is what I think a pro is. I love it. Play, play out music is a little Aretha. Uh, I think it's Aretha Franklin. R-E-S-P-E-C-T. Yeah, there you go, Dan. I love right it. There. Dude, Whitey, thank you so much. You're joining us on your birthday. We really appreciate you giving us the time, man. This is going to be required listening for for our candidates that are even considering medical device sales so thank you so much for joining us buddy yeah thanks for having me dude this wraps up this episode of merchants of change 
you enjoyed this episode, the most meaningful way to say thanks is to submit a review wherever you listen to podcasts. If you're interested in working with us, please come find us at www.shiftgroup.io.